0: if your story could change the trajectory of someone's eternity. Think about that. Imagine someone in your life that by you being obedient because you love them so much could change their eternity by simply sharing your story and the good news of Jesus. Jesus. That's so what Paul did, right? We've been reading through the book of Acts, and we see story after story of someone who was changed by the power of God, and they shared it from the smallest to the greatest. And as a result, lives were changed. I'm excited that you're here as we've continued our series through the book of Acts. Will you please turn with me to Acts chapter 26? Last week, Paul, he was in chains and he shared his testimony. He shared what God did. It was a a very simple model for us what his life was like before Christ, how he had an encounter with Jesus, and how his life was changed afterwards. And he would share it with all kinds of people, and now he's sharing it with the king, King Agrippa. And this was in the the lineage of before King Agrippa, there was Herod, and we got to remember the history of this. Like, these kings, man, they they would stop whatever possible, any kind of threat to the kingdom, especially a spiritual threat. And they had all children under the age of two, remember, murdered when Jesus, near the time of Jesus, was born. It was Herod, King Herod, who had put John the Baptist to death. And now this next king, King Agrippa, is the one who's in office and he's, he's listening to Paul, given a, def- a defense of why he's in chains, of why maybe he shouldn't be put to death. And so he shares his whole story, but notice at the end in verse twenty-six, after Paul makes a response and he says, "Hey, I'm not out of my mind," and he gives a response to him and uh, for him to know the gospel. He says in verse twenty-seven, "King Agrippa, do you believe the the prophets?" I know that you believe. Can you imagine that? Like he's sharing it, he's sharing the story, he's sharing the gospel to King Agrippa, and he was like, I know that you believe, right? It was like that kind of faith. Can you imagine every time you share the good news of Jesus? Like, I know you believe, you you believe, right? Like there's an expectation or a faith that they're going to surrender their life to Jesus. They're going to put their trust in the Lord. Now notice King Agrippa's response. He said in verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, In other words, it's only been a few minutes. He says, "'And you persuade me to be a Christian?' And Paul said, hey, whether short or long, I would know, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. He's like, what God has done in my life, I hope that everybody, everybody, not just you, but everybody, the guards, the soldiers, the governors, like everybody who hears this story and hears the good news would respond and give their life to Jesus. That's the kind of expectation that Paul had. And as we see Paul over and over, especially towards the end of Acts, have these opportunities to share his faith, it's like God opens up another door for him to share his story. There's three reasons why Paul was so adamant about sharing his story. Number one, there was a love that he had, a love for the Lord and a love for other people. He wrote to the Corinthian church, he says, this love compels me. In other words, there's this love inside of me that I can't even resist. I can't even get in the way. It's just such a strong love that it compels me to minister and share my story with others. He says, I would, would, whether it be a Jew or a Greek or a Gentile, someone who's a slave or free, he goes, I will literally make myself a slave to them that they would come to know the Lord Jesus. That kind of urgency, there was a love that compels. First, there was a love. Second, there was an obedience. He would have known that Jesus said in Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power. After that, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is why Paul would go to far off places in the known world to make disciples, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to start churches, to take mission trips. Is because he wanted to be obedient to the great commission. And that obedience flowed from his love for the Lord and for other people. So first, there was a love that God had, that he had for God and for others. Second, there was an obedience. Third, there was a power. There was a power. In Romans chapter one, verse 16, we know this says, for it is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God or the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Paul confesses, he reveals kind of the secret behind him sharing the gospel in his story. It was like, it's not my personality, it's not that I'm type A, it's not that I've been asked to do this, but there is a legitimate supernatural grace power on my life that helps me proclaim the good news. And that same power and anointing that was on Jesus, that was on his followers, that was on Paul, is the same power and anointing that he wants to put upon you to share and proclaim the good news of Jesus and share your story with others. If you would just be obedient, if you would just have a little bit of courage, a little bit of faith and say, God, my story may not be spectacular, but it's ordinary. It may be ordinary, but hey, with the ordinary plus the supernatural power of God, I'm going to tell you, it's not ordinary. That it's your story and it's your uniqueness and someone needs to hear your story. When Paul shared his story, there was someone who needed to hear it. King Agrippa. I'd like to think what happened later that night with King Agrippa when he got alone with his wife and the Holy Spirit started to remind him of things that were shared earlier with Paul. I wish we, scripture revealed that, but there was an audience and there's people who need to hear your story. You never know what God's going to do as a result of you sharing your story. How many of you enjoyed hearing the story of Hector last Sunday? Hector, who was someone who lived selfishly and ended up being in jail in a federal prison because here in San Antonio, they were selling drugs out of his barber shop. And he got caught and he paid the consequences. But people in our church family were witnessing to Hector and praying for him. And he surrendered his life to Jesus in prison. And he got out and he came to our church and he got baptized a few months ago. And and you know what happened as a result of him sharing his story online? There were people who were watching. Did you know that his probation officer and attorney watched his story online and were so moved by his story, sent his story to the federal judge. And as a response, the federal judge wants to now meet with Hector. Isn't that incredible? You never know. You never know. Last Sunday. Some of Hector's friends and family members coming up to me saying, hey, I'm inspired by what God has done in Hector's life. He can do that in my life. And and when's the next time we're going to have water baptism? Because me and my son, my son and I, we're going to get baptized in water, man. This is incredible. It doesn't just stop with us. God will do the same thing when you share your story with others, when you trust him. And so this is what we're going to do today. I, I, over the last week, I've been challenged, giving you that practical challenge to share your story, not just with friends, but someone who doesn't know the Lord. And, and in the middle of a pandemic where there's a lot of bad news, it's time that we hear some good news, right? People are longing to hear good news. And what greater news than what Jesus has done in and through your life? people are listening, people are watching. I want to say thank you to all of you who accepted that challenge, put yourself in a vulnerable place and shared your story online. I've been hearing stories and it's been incredible. Thank you. Some of you haven't done that yet. You feel a little guilty right now. It was a two-week challenge. You're okay. You got one more week. You got one more week. All right, do it this afternoon. Use the the hashtag GFC good news and share your story. Our team is watch some of the, your stories, and we said, hey, this is so important. Like, this, a fuse has been lit. Like, we're, this is spreading. And we said, hey, let's just ask a few people if they would be willing to share their stories in service right now. So you're about to hear people's stories, ordinary people in our church family, volunteers. These are people who are not on staff. They're volunteers. Your brothers and sisters. They're going to testify to them. Some of them are a little bit nervous, but are you guys ready to hear some of their stories? I know that you are. So, I want to invite first Stacy. Will you come join me? I said, You're like one of the first stories I heard, Stacy. And man, hearing your testimony, and I know you've gone through regeneration and you're in a small group. Who's your small group leader? Right here, front row. Awesome. And and, and, and God's done a, a powerful work in your life. And man, God's changed your life, and you kind of found your man here at
1: Gateways. I Isn't did. I Chris, I swear right. you got
0: married recently. So let's put our hands together one more time as we hear our first story today. Thank you so much.
1: Uh, so, it, my story starts in January of 2018. I was a recovering drug addict, I was in a very abusive relationship in every sense of the word. It was physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, and it was a daily constant in my life for easily three years at that time. I, as a result of the abuse, discovered in March that year, same year, 2018, that I was pregnant and I was terrified. I felt like I was stuck with this person who does not love me and who abuses me every day for the rest of my life. I didn't know what I would do. I didn't know if he would abuse my child, Would he? would he stop abusing me, but unfortunately he didn't. The abuse lasted through my entire pregnancy. Uh, up until the day I decided that I had enough and that day came, two weeks after the birth of my daughter, my family received some really hard news. We we received news that my grandmother's days with us were numbered, uh, so I rushed to Austin to be by my family and my grandmother's side and when I returned home that night, I discovered he had kidnapped our two-week-old daughter and was gone. I had no idea where to find her. I had no idea where to turn. I felt alone. I had pushed my entire family away at his hands and with the drug use and the shame. And Although I didn't deserve it, my sister Jamie came to my rescue at 3 in the morning, no questions asked. I called her, and she was there faster than I could even hang up the phone. Uh, with her help, I was able to convince him to bring my daughter home almost 24 hours later I finally was able to hold her again and that's when I I made my escape. I packed what I had, and my two children, my newborn, a box of diapers and a trash bag of clothes and that's it. That's all I had. Uh, Jamie took me in and she showed me so much love that I didn't deserve and part of that love was she invited me here to Gateway and I did not wanna come. I honestly tried to talk myself out of it so many times, but. I'm so glad that I came because on this stage stood Matt Robertson talking about second chances and I know he was preaching to me that was the message for me I needed that he told he told me that God died for not just the sins of those who didn't commit crimes or commit things in life that were too far gone. I thought I was too far gone, but that God loved me and he would forgive me and he didn't care about what I did. He didn't care about my past. None of that mattered to him. All that mattered was that I loved him enough to surrender, lay it all at his feet and I did that. That very night, I, I remember praying dead sinner in the, at the altar call and I'd surrendered my life to Jesus and ever since that day, I, the joy... The joy I have is so overwhelming. I started small group and I started studying and with Jamie's help, she would help me understand what I was learning, understand what I was reading. And I just started, I was so excited. I started sharing the gospel with everybody I knew, people I didn't know. I mean, I remember one time being in a grocery store and I just, a mom was, had a baby that was crying and I thought, you know what, let me preach to her. <laughs> so I started gaining more and more interest in more involvement what else can i do how else can i serve the god that took me from probable death I, I shouldn't it's by his grace that i'm even here i would not have made it out alive and in july july 28th 2019 i was baptized <laughs> it was then that I decided I needed to fellowship. I needed to get out there and meet other people. I needed, I needed sisters and brothers in Christ and it's so important and I did just that with just about anybody who would fellowship with me and that's where I met my now husband Chris Poole. <laughs> we actually got married here at Gateway a month ago and now with the, the powerful testimony he had on his own and my own testimony we're so excited to help save some souls and to serve God in any way that we can and I just wanted to tell anyone who's out there in an abusive relationship, whether it's physical, mental, you're not alone. You don't have to stay stuck. And there are people, there is a God, there is someone watching and he wants you back and he wants you to come back to him. And It's easier the moment you decide that's what you're going to do. Wow.
0: Thank you, Stacy, for trusting us with your story. You are a soul winner. Wow. All right, next up is Larry Zavala. He's one of our small group leaders and um, he's been part of our church family. He's a, he's a good buddy of mine. He's my golfing buddy. We played golf yesterday, had a taco at like six o'clock in the morning, then went to play golf. And, and he invited me to play golf with him and, and two of his friends. who I didn't really know very well, but there were guys that knew you back when you grew up in El Paso. And, and, and so I was like, oh, so you knew Larry back in El Paso. And they both said at the same time, yeah, we knew B.C. Larry. And I was like, Z, B.C. Larry, who? Is? And then it dawned on me, before Christ, Larry. They've seen the difference and the change that God has done in your life. Thank you, Z, for sharing your story with us. I love you, man, and excited to hear what God is doing. So here's my story.
2: Uh, I grew up uh in a loving family <clears throat> but uh uh I was uh sexually abused by an uncle and uh <sighs> but um and also um <clears throat> my my mother died uh when I was just before getting ready to turn eight. And, uh, so I, I grew up, um, very angry. I, uh, I fought a lot. I, um, I was into stealing. Um, and, uh, when I turned, when I was 12 years old, I started doing drugs and and drinking alcohol. And, um, I was, uh, arrested numerous times. And when I, uh, got into high school, I was introduced to uh, cocaine and, and um, that was uh, the beginning of a, of a bigger thing. Um, when I turned 29, uh, I was convicted of robbery and I was... Uh, I was um, sentenced to 12 years in prison and at that point... I realized that I was needing to do something different. So I started reading the Bible and uh, going to, to uh, Bible studies in prison. And uh, <clears throat> a volunteer asked me, when did you uh, receive Christ into your life? And, and I didn't know what he was talking about. And... Uh, so... Um, He took me aside and and he led me to Christ and I made a decision to (laughs) accept (sighs) Christ. What a a sense of peace that came over me. And, um, And I was in a massive security prison, but I still wanted to go home. And in uh, 95, um, I went home back to El Paso and I started going to a spirit-filled church. God introduced me to a beautiful, godly calendar girl. (laughs) I knew I was walking in God's favor because uh, in 97, she agreed to be my life mate. Uh, God has since... um, Taking away addiction to drugs, alcohol, pornography, um, taking away greed and anger from my life, um, and I, I still make mistakes and but like that song talked about, my, my sins are erased by, by the blood of Jesus um, but the best part of my story is this: Jesus is willing to do that for you. And all you have to do is make that decision today. Today is your day. Amen. Amen.
0: Wow. This is a man who is marked by joy. He is changed by the power of God. You're next, gonna, you're going to hear from the story of Victor. I can remember four years ago, I, th- I think I first met Victor's wife, Portia, and and, and their marriage was a wreck, and uh, I'd heard, you know, the conflict that was happening, so when we first saw each other, there was not a lot of, uh, (laughs) you gave me the stink eye, and I was like, man, I just, but we had hope that God would change us lives and change your marriage. I don't want to share too much of it, but uh, thank you, Victor, for uh, being here and testifying what God has done in your life and in your marriage. We love you, man. So I was 21 years old,
3: um, just graduated basic training in the Army, and I just got married. Um, I was super excited to be married, but I was young and dumb, and my first duty station sent me off to Korea for a year by myself. Uh, During that year, since my wife wasn't there, I sought out friendships with females, and those females would be females I confided in other than my wife, Portia, and uh, those became emotional affairs. Um, Unfortunately, that wasn't a single isolated incident. This followed me throughout my military career, but those emotional affairs soon turned physical. And these uh, patterns would become habits and I was now a slave to my sexual sin. Um, And it was already starting to ruin my entire life, My, my marriage, my friendships, relationships, my career. And I got out of the military and came back to work here in San Antonio One morning, um, I received a phone call from Portia, and she was just like, hey, Vic, are you having an affair? And I was so full of myself and cocking Eric, and I was like, yeah, like, how could you not know? And that same day, she went to file for divorce, and I packed my stuff and moved out of the house, uh, leaving my wife and kids. Uh, In the state of Texas, there's a 60-day window from the time you file your petition for divorce to the time it is processed, and in those 60 days, God really, really started moving in my life. Um, we'd come to Gateway, and that was about the only thing we did together while the divorce was happening. Um, but this one morning, Portia was driving back from Austin, and we weren't able to go to church. And I was just sitting in my sister's guest bedroom, um, feeling empty and sad, and just reflecting on the mess that I've caused, and I made a phone call to Porsche, and I was just like, hey, just want to let you know, I'm going to kill myself, I'm done. And I called to say my goodbyes. She immediately rushed as fast as she could from somewhere between Austin and my sister's house to come pick me up. And in that time, she was calling everybody she knew here at Gateway, but it was a Sunday morning, and nobody answered their phone. Um, Unsure of what to do, she just brought me here. And I happened to see Pastor Randy, Pastor John's father, and he was somewhere in this general area. This was before the expansion. But um, in the same building, I ran into Pastor Randy. And we'd done marriage counseling with him before, but I'd lied to, I'd disrespected. I was just a complete jerk to this man. And he still was just like, Victor, like, I'm here for you. All you have to do is try one last thing because what you've been doing does not work. Everything on your own strength, doing it by yourself doesn't work. Just try giving it to Christ. Just surrender your life to him, apologize with a genuine heart, which is something I never did. I was lying to everybody. And he's like, you have nothing to lose. So in that moment, I did. And in the blink of an eye, the anger, the depression, the guilt, the frustration, the just everything negative that I was feeling was immediately gone. And I remember just feeling so loved, and I looked over at Portia, and I professed to her how much I truly loved her. Um, day 59, before the 60-day window, we walked back and we canceled the divorce. Yeah. Um, since then, um, we started attending small groups. Eventually, we were nominated to go through H300, become small group leaders, and now we lead a, a marriage small group for people that are struggling or just just want to grow closer to Christ because we found our relationship was stronger when we were individually stronger with Christ. So we're trying to share that with others, and no matter how messed up your life is, like you can be forgiven, not just by Christ, but by your family. Thank you.
0: Victor, <laughs> so you are a man of God and a leader in our church family. We're grateful for what God is doing in and through you, and your best days are in front of you. We love you, and Portia, and how you're raised in your family to follow in the Lord's footsteps. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Love you, man. Wow. The Word of God says to be ready in season and out to share the hope that is in you. Now, these individuals are sharing their stories in season. They had an opportunity to practice and get ready, but man, they're doing really good on time. Uh, can we pause your story for a second? Like, I think I want to ask someone, one of you guys here in our church family, to share your story. You'll be out of season because you haven't you haven't been asked ahead of time. And so remember your story, what it's like before Christ, how you had an encounter with Jesus and how your life, some of you are getting really nervous right now, but I'm going to ask someone who I'm confident that they can share their story. I think I saw Fabian walk in. Fabian, will you join me up on stage? And we uh, <laughs> you, you didn't know I was going to ask you. But I remember about four years ago, Fabian, we were in a softball tournament and it was like a Saturday afternoon. It was like 100 degrees and we were sitting down by a fence and you trusted me with your story. And and guys, we got to be ready in season. out. You never know. The worst thing that could happen, I think, is that man, someone asked you, why are you a follower of Jesus and you're not ready or you're not prepared? We need to be ready in season and out. So, out of season. are you ready? I know I'm putting you on the spot. How many of you believe and are ready to hear Fabian's story? Just take a few minutes and share your story with us. I love you and thank you for doing it. Thank you for doing this. You didn't volunteer for it, but I know God's going to use you.
4: Thank you. How's it going? Oh, man. So uh, man. Where do I start? Normally, this takes a really long time when I share it with college students um, but yeah, uh, I would say basically growing up, I was in a home that was pretty broken to the outside world. It was a home that looked like they had everything together. Their children are doing well in school, they got jobs, and they're making ends meet you know they have their cars in their house, and they're not defaulting on their loans or anything like that and so Um, Most of our family saw us as like good um, people and it was a Catholic family, right? So as long as we went to church on Easter and on Christmas, um, you know, we were okay with God. Um, But the problem was that I never knew God. I specifically remember my mom asking me on my latter years in high school if I believed that there was a God and I told her, I don't know. I've never heard him. I've never seen him. I've never sensed him in my life at all. And she kind of like looked at me and she was like, You really like, I'm not talking about like actually experiencing God. I'm talking about just like knowing God. I'm like, Well, I think that they're one and the same. If I can't experience him, then why should I believe in him? Right. And so. Yeah, my high school years just consisted of putting my trust and my efforts into my own self and, like, building my life up to what I thought it should be, right? So I worked really hard. I um, studied. I graduated to 3.8. I was a dual-sport athlete. Um, and my private life was a little different. I would kind of put on a front in front of my parents, but in my own private time, I was... Um, just doing drugs, I was smoking weed, and uh, going to rape parties, and popping ecstasy. Uh, I was out drinking with my teammates, and it was pretty toxic. I was getting with a bunch of girls, but I would just come back home, and they're like, oh, hi, mijo, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm doing good, good to see y'all. I'm gonna go to my room now. And so I would just constantly retreat back to my room and live almost kind of like a double life. Right, And so when I went to college, that um, just became really heightened uh, and I didn't have to go home anymore. I just went back to my dorm and that's what my other friends did. They did all the other things that I did, right? So by the age of, I would say 20, I was buying alcohol on my own, throwing parties on my own, um, and it quickly turned to cocaine, uh, more ecstasy, more weed, Um, getting blacked out, wasted, right? So just a party animal and then slipping around. And I just thought that that's what we were supposed to be doing. You know, it's like, well, I guess if this is the world and we're supposed to like seize the moment and let's seize it, you know, uh, for what it's worth. But the problem was, is that I had... God and everything that I wanted in the world, right? So I was was buying weed every single day. That's like $20 a day minimum, right? So you're spending tons of money. It's like, why am I doing this? Anyways, um, as a young man in this culture, to be honest, this is what everybody wants, right? And they think that that's what the cool thing is. But I was thankful because even though when I didn't know it, God had a plan uh, to meet with me at a Christian conference. Uh, one of my best friends, his dad, um, invited me to a Christian conference. And I told him I didn't want to go, but they called and I was sponsored to go. Uh, the conference said I didn't have to pay, I just needed to get there. So I went there. I was not into it, music was weird. Uh, people were crying. I was like, "Man, these guys are such sissies. Like, why are they crying? You know, they got their Bibles in their hands and everything, and they're like walking around all happy. I'm like, why are these guys so happy in the first place? Like, it's like this. The lyrics don't rhyme. I'm like, there's no beat, no bass. I was like, man, we're in trouble here. And so I was like, I want to go back to the room. Um, but it was crazy. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I if I just like slept on God, you know, but really he knows the deep things of man, right? And so he knew exactly what I needed to hear, when I needed to hear it. And when I heard the gospel message for the first time, I immediately knew that I wasn't a good man. Like that there was nothing good about me. I knew that my my sins had stacked so high that there was no way that anybody Could forgive me for the things that I've done. Things that I could never tell anybody. I couldn't look anybody in the in the eye and tell them all the things that I've done that God said were sin in the Bible. And I was like, what do you mean God loves me? You know? How could He love me? He doesn't even know me. And then it's like, Well, before you were in the womb, He knew you. He's like, well, what about, what about all the things that I've done? He's like, well, while you were yet a sinner, Christ loved you, right? And I was like, man, if someone can forgive me for this, like, I'll surrender my life. If, if, I, if the wages of sin truly is death, then I've just been, like, saved. If you're saved from a drowning, drowning in a pool, Right? The person who takes you out from that right should you should owe your life to them. When someone saves your life and you know is in imminent danger of death, you're like, I owe you my life. That's this expression that we use. So when I knew that God had did that for me, I immediately told him, Have my life. Like You're the one thing that I do. You're the one thing that I pay attention to. You're the one thing that I live for. You're the one thing that I wake up in the morning for. You're the one thing that I go to sleep for. Like I eat, I sleep, I breathe, Jesus. Right? And so, it's incredible. Um, I'll just encourage you though, like, um, even for the young people in here, like, I know that the world seems like an endless like playground just to like play around with things and like like try and just experience everything while you're still young but truly you won't understand what life is or who life is or what life was always meant to be unless you know God cuz life it doesn't consist in those things like Jesus says that he's the resurrection and the life right and even though like we do die, we, we will live forever, but we can also live with him actively now. And that's the best life that you could ever live. And so I just want to testify.
0: Thank you so much. did need to share a story. He's going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Something happens when we share our story. Revelation says we are set free by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. Did you know that? Like you can experience breakthroughs in your life because of the blood of Jesus, but also when you share your story with others, when you testify to God's goodness. All right, next and finally, we have Lexi Carrera. She has been in our church probably about four years as well. You've seen her. She was on our worship team this morning playing the guitar. Uh, My favorite is when she plays the banjo, though. And man, it's been a long time since she played the banjo I know Rab may tell you to bring the guitar. Next time, just bring your banjo up, all right? Okay. All right. She is in Chi Alpha, is on staff and a great leader there. We love you, you Lexi. Let's put our hands together as we anticipate (laughs) hearing your story. Thank you so much.
5: Oh, this is so fun. This is my favorite story to tell. Um, uh, When I was younger, my parents got a divorce. And so my mom and my younger sister and I, we moved to Texas and my mom got remarried to a wonderful man and our new family, we went to church every Sunday and I knew what the Bible was and I had a lot of people around me who loved me and told me who God was. I, honestly, I had everything that I needed to walk with God. But at the age of like around 11 or 12, I specifically remember deciding that I was going to live the way I wanted to, even though I knew what was right. So high school came, and I was, I was living under the weight of the consequences of my sin. I had depression and anxiety. I had developed eating disorders. I was in relationships I shouldn't have been in. I had secrets. I was a different person everywhere I went. I was always having to think about who I was and what I was gonna say. Everything was a secret. And so one night, about halfway through summer, about halfway through my high school years, I had a, just one of those nights when everything falls apart. Like all the secrets you've kept, they get revealed. Everything that I had built up around myself, all the relationships and and lies to try to bring comfort or peace, they just fell apart. And I was exposed for who I really was. So (laughs) I locked myself in my bedroom, like a good teenage girl. And I was just standing there in the middle of the room and I knew that everything was my fault. Like up until that point, I would have blamed other people or, or just found some way out of it. But it was the first time I was like, this is my fault. And I was asking these questions like, who am I? Is, does everyone else feel this way? Like, what can I do? I've already tried everything. And someone had given me a Bible. And it was one of those like hard pew Bibles. And I opened it and I, it was the first time I, I read the Bible just to see like, what is in here, what does God have to say? And, and as I was reading, uh, the presence of God came into the room. <laughs> and I was so scared. I, it was the first time I'd ever felt joy and love and comfort and it was like light all around me. But I also knew how bad I was. It's like everything was exposed for what it was. And it was scary, but I also didn't want to leave. And he showed me a picture. And in the picture I had fallen off a cliff and there were chains around my wrists and my ankles. And he showed me that the chains were my sins and that they kept me separate from him. But that if I came to him, he could take them off me, and I could walk with him. So I was like, "Okay, <laughs> let's do it." Um, but I had I had two years of high school left after that night, and this, I was a mess going back to school. I would be in the locker room, standing on a chair, telling everyone about God, but then yelling and and cussing and just completely still living in sin. And I had no idea what to do, and uh, but I wanted to know God. I, I wanted to know who had come into my bedroom that night. And so I graduated high school, and I came to UTSA, and I met this girl named Pamela, and she's sitting over there. <laughs> <laughs> and she just took me with her everywhere. She took me to this thing called Chi Alpha. She took me to Gateway. I would come and like take notes and fall asleep. And, but I, I was with her, and, and she loved me. But she introduced me to all of these other people who knew God. And he had done for them what he said he was gonna do for me. And so logically I was like, oh, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And so I repented of my sins. I stopped living the way I had been. And I, I started walking with Jesus and he became the Lord of my life and I was baptized in water. And now I, I do, I get to be a full-time minister of the gospel. I, I get to do what I love. <laughs> and as a... <laughs> Honestly, I was trying to think, okay, I'm going to share my testimony. How does it end? And me and the Lord just decided I'm going to keep working for him and spending time with him. And I'm just waiting for him to come back.